We've been looking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and uh, the first half of it, Paul has been saying, all right, here is the truth about who you are. Here's the truth about what Christ has done for you in the gospel. Here's basic Christianity, the first three chapters of it. And then he's starting to say, all right, if this is basic Christianity, your basic beliefs, this is basic practice. This is how you live out your life as a Christian. And so he's talking, continuing to talk about that, and he's talking about in this passage that we see, all right, this is your new identity in Christ. This is how you were before you met Christ. This is how, how you might be tempted to live this old way of thinking, this old way of living, but now you need to embrace the new way of Christ. Here's your identity in Christ. And so he reminds them of that and what that then means about how that affects how they're supposed to live out their life in daily Christian practice. As a good father reminds his children who they are and then what their be- if their behavior doesn't add up to that, he calls them up. He says, no, this is who you are. I, we, we tell our kids, all right, Barney's, Barney's don't whine, all right? Barney's, yeah, see, even Mabel knows right there. Good job. <laughs> Barney's don't whine. Uh, Barney's take responsibility. Barney's do this. And so it's the same way he calls them to a higher calling. In Ephesians, it's, we're learning that we're becoming who we are. We're becoming who we already have been made in Christ. And so because of that, verses 17 through 19, if you look there with me, Paul reminds them to renounce the old you. You need to renounce the old you. That's the first point that he makes here. Verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Gentiles are unbelievers. They were non-Jewish people. And in this context, it's, it's those who are not followers of Christ. It's anyone who are, have not trusted in Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, don't live and do the things that you used to do before you came to Christ. That's not in line with Christ. Paul is like, because of all these things I've been saying to you in these first three chapters, because of what God has accomplished in Christ, all right, don't act like that. Don't stay in your sin. Don't go back to your old way of living. It's in your past. Keep it there. He says, don't keep on walking as believers do then in the futility of your minds. Futility of your way of thinking. And he's going to keep on teasing this out here, that it's a mindset. That just as a verse that we all would know, um, he says, don't, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, right, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The renewing of your minds. So we need to, we're Christians now, we need to develop new ways of thinking that are in line with the new way that we can be living and what has been done to us. He says that unbelievers are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because their hardness of heart, they're, they're darkened in their understanding. So the truth about the reality, the way we all live, is that we live the way we think, the way we believe. We end up living out, we end up acting, we end up feeling those things that are in line. And he says that unbelievers are spiritually poor. They're blind, they have a veil before their eyes. They can't see and understand true reality, the truths about God. 
Uh, example of this is, if any of you are, uh, most, many of you will be familiar with, and I don't know if you green college students are, would remember the, the story of uh, The Matrix. They came out with a recent movie a year ago. But in that film, in films, the, gra the film shows in a graphic way how the reality that everyone is believing is false. It's a total lie. It's a computer simulation. And in fact, all humans are being controlled by machines, and their bodies are like batteries just plugged into charging machines, and they're in this dream state, this computer simulation that's going on, and reality is not true. And Trinity and Morpheus help Neo, right in the movie, unplug from this computer simulation, show what's real. Unbelievers, it's the same way. They have no concept about the gospel. Us, when you think about your life before Christ, maybe for some of us, it's, we, we just can't understand these, these spiritual realities of heaven and hell, of angels and demons, of sin. Ah, I think I'm a pretty good person. No, the Bible says you're so sinful. You're way more sinful than you know or realize. And you're under God's judgment. But this new reality of Christ's love, his death for you. So he says, don't go thinking into this futility way that we're tempted to think in these things that aren't reality, to live as if this isn't a computer simulation. You know, that's a, that, to me, that's a powerful illustration the, the way that we used to live. Why, he says, why are they like this? Why are we tempted to go on living and thinking like how we used to think? Because of verse 18. Because he says, all right, they were ignorant. It was due to their hardness of heart, right? We, the Bible says that we used to have uh, hard, stony hearts. And our hearts sometimes can still be stony and hard in different areas. We've been given a heart of flesh now, but if you're with me, I know my heart, I find that, oh man, my heart is, is numb and stony sometimes to God. And the realities of the gospel, the realities of how depraved and messed up my sin is, but also how good God's grace is and how good God is. My heart is uncaring toward that. It's hard. So he says, all right, we need to remind ourselves of these truths. Verse 19, he goes on. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, every, to practice every kind of impurity. So he's telling them this, I think, to remind them, all right, this is how you used to be. All right, this is how they are, he's saying. But I think he says that to them, knowing that, all right, you might be tempted to live like everyone else, to live like the rest of the world, to go back to and live this way. Right? Sin is in all of us, and it creeps into every heart. It creeps into the church. And so that's why he's telling them, don't also become desensitized to sin. Callous, he's saying. I remember I, I traveled uh, in India, and on the, the streets there, I might have mentioned this story before, you'd, you'd see people begging, and you'd see um, sometimes they had something, either leprosy itself or something similar to leprosy going on. And it was heartbreaking to see. You'd see people with nubs um, instead of fingers, or even with whole arms, um, hands that were gone. Because... Uh, what happens in, in leprosy or some similar diseases like that is you lose feeling in your extremities. You begin to lose feeling. And so because of that, you don't realize that when you're handling this hot 
pot of food that you're being burned. Or you, you put yourself in danger in ways and then you end up losing some of your fingers. You end up losing some of these things. That's the kind of the picture it has here. When we become desensitized to sin, it leads to other destruction in our lives. Destruction of our relationships, our relationship with God. We're being desensitized and we can destroy ourselves sometimes bit by bit. And it's deceitful. It's done in a deceitful way, as he says later on in verse 22. He says, put off your old self that's been corrupted through deceitful desires. Sin is deceitful. Become numb to it. He says in verse 19 that they've given themselves over to indulge in every kind of sensuality. So immediately when we hear something like that, we maybe think of uh, lust or sexual immorality, which is definitely under that umbrella. But it's more than just that, this word sensuality that he is talking about. He's talking about the trap of, of the flesh, of the old sinful nature, old way of thinking. It's connected with lust, yeah, for sure in the Bible, but it's also a kind of either physical, social, or psychological pleasure. Any kind of spiritual pleasure, even, that replaces God. So sensuality, a good biblical definition of that, is it's a kind of pleasure in the physical, in social, in psychological, or spiritual kind of pleasure, and said that we need to be looking to fulfill God that ultimately in our lives. It can be good things that replace God in our lives. They're fleshly, worldly desires Paul's talking about. Sensuality, very simply, is finding your joy and pleasure, your comfort in something rather than God. I was thinking, reflecting on this passage and what might Paul encourage us and warn the people today of. Warn the people of. He might tell young people, he might tell us to guard our hearts. He would tell us to encourage us not to think in worldly terms, in the way of thinking. It might be to be careful, we were talking about our, our men's group that met uh, Thursday this week, of screen time. It's now adults spend an average of anywhere between maybe eight or ten hours in front of their screens, both for work and often their phones, right? We can just easily fritter our time away. I remember when YouTube started, right, and suddenly, you know, you, you get on, on one thing of looking at, a, at a, a cat that's playing chopsticks or something on the piano, you know, and then a half hour later, you've gone through all these other videos, and you're like, whoa, I just wasted how much of my life? And we keep on doing that. You know, I go to restaurants all the time. I hang out with my friends, with my family, even things like during Christmas, and I see couples and families just on their phones, right? This could be us so easily. This is me and Chelsea sometimes. We have to guard for this. We have to guard a way where things like Netflix or Prime Video or whatever, or video games, can also, again, fritter away so much of our time. And also we can be entertained by things that really are, as Paul would say, the Bible says, are sensual. 
Christians from other centuries, if they, I believe this firmly, if they came to 2022 and looked at how Christians live today, they would be utterly horrified at some of the ways that we live. The movies we watch, the shows, our speech, what we wear, they'd be horrified at it because it looks so much to just what the, other, the world does, and it's sensual. Again, we need to guard ourselves, Paul is wanting to remind us, to reject the pleasures of the world so we can feast on the pleasures of God, to guard our hearts because it's the wellspring of life, as Solomon tells us, to be satisfied with the all-satisfying pleasure of knowing God. Another thing as, that we could be tempted to, and certainly as Americans, is to live a life of comfort, to just be comfortable, to not want to buck the status quo and to live for Christ. We can spend our time sitting at home, maybe bumming around in relative ease, anxious about non-problems, things that are really tiny problems, but our minds are so warped by you know, our, our own anxiety, our own fears, when God has already promised to meet our needs. When instead we should be out, not at home, but in the spiritual trenches, in the enemy camp, storming the gates of hell and on the front lines, living for more than ourselves, a bigger mission of God, a bigger vision than the little kingdoms that we have. We need Christian friendships to help us. We were talking about this on Thursday night again at our, uh, our men's group. We need discipleship groups, accountability partners, friendships to help accomplish this, to help saying that we can be real with and say, hey, how are you doing with this? How are you doing with screen time? What are the, what's the big vision for your life? What are you living for? We were talking about this as, as men and as guys with, with our spouses and with our kids. How do we live for something bigger? How do we give them a bigger vision for their lives than just living for ourselves or our own family? But living for God's mission. And it requires intentionality people in our lives that we can invite in to share this with, that we can encourage them with as well. He says that they're greedy to practice this, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Impurity is just a general, just anything that's unclean. Greed is when our wants become our needs. We think we need these things. Oh, I just need this. We're craving more, but we're never satisfied. Temptations of the world, desire for comfort, for pleasure apart from God. The sensuality can be found, like I said, all around us. Paul says, though, that this is the old way of living. In summary, again, Paul is saying, all right, we need to renounce the old you. Renounce the old you. And here's five reasons that he gives as we go back and, and look in this in summary. In verses 17 and 18, he says, you, you'll become darkened and vain, meaningless, just like them. Secondly, he says, you will become unreasonable, illogical, and ignorant. He says this in verse 17 and 18. He says you'll become callous, unfeeling, verse 19. He says you'll become slaves to your own desires, verse 19. And lastly, in verse 22, he says you will become corrupted by the deceitful desires. So his encouragement for us is renounce the old you. Make no provision for the flesh. Take no pr prisoners. You know, sometimes we can, we can take... Uh, you know, I, we can, we can uh, treat our sin 
our old nature just like a, a pet, you know? Well, I don't want to feed it too much, you know, but I'll keep it around, you know, I'll, I'll feed it. It's, it's, it's kind of harmless, you know? But he says, all right, don't make it a pet. You know, starve it into submission. Kill the old so you can live into the new. And how can we escape from this good way of, this old way of living? It's not just saying no, but it's saying yes to something. You know, when we, there's always a power vacuum. If something's not king in your life, all right, there, a new king needs to take place. If you kick an old habit, a bad habit, you need to replace it with a new. Otherwise, you'll just find yourself in some other different bad habit or going back to that bad habit. But let's look at verse 20 through 24. This is the second point. He says, embrace the new you. Embrace the new you as it will be given to you through Christ. Look with me, verse 20. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not the way that you learned Christ. Paul is saying that we, we've learned Christ differently. This is the gospel. The gospel is not fire insurance. It's not, all right, hey, I gave my life to Christ at one point. I believe in Jesus. So now, eh, it doesn't really matter how I live. All right, I'm good. I have eternal, my eternal standing with God is fixed, which is true. That's good. We really need to know that. But you can't just live now however you want, how we're a Christian. And if we're even thinking and living this way, I think it shows that we're probably not a Christian. We're supposed to put off the old self, he says, and put on the new. Assuming, verse 21 says, that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. I think this is what he's, what he's getting at. Of course the Ephesians have heard about him. Most of this, church, this is a really good church. This is one of the only churches in the New Testament that Paul doesn't rebuke for a specific reason. They're a great church. But again, he's reminding them of these basic truths of the gospel. We all need to be reminded of these things. Did you hear what he said right here? He says that verse 24, that we've been created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. He says, put on the new self. It reminds me of, of in 1 Corinthians, how Paul talks about how we're new creations in Christ. We're new creations. And so the solution is that all right, we need to wrestle with the old nature. We need to wrestle with the new nature. It's interesting here. Um, it translates right here, there's, and there's a note in it in my verse. Uh, verse 22 says, put off your old self. Put off your old self. And then in verse 24, it says, put on the new self. In Greek, it says literally man. And I think why it says man right there is because he's obviously he's talking to also at least half women as well. But I think the way he said, why he's saying that is because like he talks about in Romans, Romans 4, 5, and 6, the new, the old man is with our nature with Adam. Adam and Eve, the old man who brought sin into the world. So this is your old, your old man, your old person. And so he's saying that the new man, the new self, is Jesus Christ that we're now in connection with, relationship with him. To put on the new man, created in the image and likeness of God. We're being made more and more like Jesus. God is doing that in our lives. See, the gospel is something radical. It's, something, it's about something that's already been done to us. I love telling people about this. Uh, 
um, every day, or excuse me, every week, um, get into conversations with people, get into conversations at, with Lyft, and uh, often people have never heard this way of saying it, where the gospel, Christianity, is something totally different, where in every other religion and philosophy that I've found, I've heard of, it's about, all right, you have to do something in order to build your own identity. You have to please a law. You have to live up to this standard. You have to build new karma. You have to be good so you can become good. Christianity doesn't work that way. You can't be good in Christianity. You're sinful. You're so messed up. I tried to be good for so long and it worked. I just got more, it didn't work, excuse me. I just got more sick and more sick. Christianity is that, oh man, you are so sinful. You're so messed up. But Jesus was good and perfect for you. He has already made you good and righteous and holy. And now you're becoming who you already are. You, your standing with God is righteous. It's complete. And now you're becoming more and more like him. Now, yes, we do need to walk out into that. But you're not have to earn something. You already have this identity. And part of the reason why what he's talking about, how you walk into that identity is you have to change your mindset. You have to change your mindset. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Again, so he comes back to this theme of it's about changing our mindset. Spirit here could just be translated, could just be mean our attitude. Our attitude of our minds or our mindset. Put on the new Christ, what he's already accomplished for us, who we already are. We've already been made righteous, it says in verse 24. We already are a new creation. We've already been made holy. We put on the new Christ. It's, it's really easy in one sense, Paul is saying. It's already been achieved through Christ, number one. Number two, it's through our thinking through our thinking, remembering that, meditating on what Jesus has already done for us. The old is dead and gone. It's like putting on clothing is the language he uses here. Put off your old self. Put on the new self. It's as easy as putting on a coat, putting on a rain jacket when you came here today. Putting off. Putting off the old, putting on the new. The gospel is completely different than the other religious belief and philosophy. It's not about becoming a good person, but it's that you already are a child of God. You see, the Son of God put on our humanity. He put on our sins so we, sinners, could become sons of God. He could make us children of God. Uh, it's a lot like, and we've talked about this before, reminds me of the, the movies, if you guys have seen this, of uh, uh, the Jason Bourne series. Some of my favorite action movies. Um, but Jason Bourne, right, through his amnesia, uh, one pastor commentating on uh, these films, he, he says this, Jason Bourne, through his amnesia, he begins to see himself in the world in a, in a new way. Before his death, at the beginning of the movie, right, when he's discovered by the fishermen, at the beginning he's brought up from the water, uh, maybe like baptism, huh? interesting. He was a slave to Treadstone. Right, this government organization where he functioned as a hitman spy. He was programmed for their work. After his resurrection, when he's pulled from the water by the fishermen, he begins a new 
journey of discovery, fighting for freedom from his past. He begins to see and experience life differently. He has hope. He has love, right? He meets this girl, Marie. He meets different people in his life. He begins to have a possibility of a different life that awaits him, one filled with things that aren't just fear and brokenness and death. And the Christian journey is similar, right? As new creations, we're trying to say, all right, we got to grapple with our past junk still, right? We say, I'm not that anymore. We have to stop cooperating with our old life and corruption and sin, realize that there's hope, there's newness of life, there's something that God has for us. Some way that uh, many of us maybe can do this is this, this fall, we're hoping on putting together, we did this last year, uh, a church membership class. And for some people who maybe haven't been baptized before as Christians, as believers, but to do a church membership class to go and immerse yourself again in some of the basics of the Christian faith. And then also for maybe some people in our church who haven't been baptized after they've trusted in Christ themselves to be baptized. So like Jason Bourne, we have to walk it out. How can we, how can we renounce the old and walk into the new, embrace the new identity that we have? Jason, he keeps on wanting, he keeps on being dragged back from these other characters and circumstances and remembering his old way of living. They keep trying to pull him back. Will he return to being just a killer, just being a murderer again? And this is what the mind renewal that Paul is talking about. This is what uh, one word, uh, a Greek word for repentance means. Repentance means to just change your way of thinking. To change your way of thinking. Are we still trying, are you still trying to be a good person? Are you trying to measure up? Are you trying to be a righteous person? My best advice to you is to stop. Stop. Know that in Christ you are. It's to stop living on the streets, as it were, when our address is already Buckingham Palace. We're citizens of heaven, it says. Let's, let's live like that. Not live like a pauper, like a poor man, when we're really a prince or princess. But we have everything in Christ. It's when maybe you or I feel insecure, we feel insignificant or anxious, we go to find relief in sensuality, in pleasure and comfort. But we have to remind ourselves, all right, God gave us his son. He gave us everything. Isn't he going to take care of us? When we're looking for pleasure in the wrong places, we need to remind ourselves that he's already given us his greatest joy. Psalm 1611, I love this verse. It says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have you been satisfied with those pleasures, Christian? Have you been satisfied by those? You find that, that you're overwhelmed with that. Again, Paul's analogy is it's something easy. Putting on and taking off clothing. Put on Christ as a coat. You already are in him. In one sense, it's just as easy as that. Again, renounce the old you. Why? Because that's no longer who you are. And embrace the new you. Why? Because you're a new creation. You're a child of God. We just have to continue to walk into that. We are created, as he says in verse 24, in conclusion, in righteousness and holiness. It reminds me of the garden, right? Where he created them, Genesis 1, 26, 27, in his own image. 
But that was broken, right? Two chapters later, Adam and Eve already messed that up. But Jesus comes, the new man, and he wants to clothe us in his own righteousness. He has clothed us in his righteousness, and he's making us more and more like him. We need to walk into it. I'm reminded of a story that reminds us how to do this, and I think gets at what Paul is doing. Uh, there was a, a Christian who was wrongly imprisoned um, in, it was an Eastern European country. And every day, he'd rise in the morning, and uh, it, it was a really rough prison that we, he was in. Um, serious crimes were had done by the, um, the inmates there, and they were hardened criminals. And he would rise up early in the morning, and he would always rise, um, beginning his time with prayer, and part of that was he would sing this same song, this same hymn, over and over again, every morning. And every morning, he'd, he'd just bellow it, he'd just say it at the top of his lips in this whole prison. Like, hundreds of prisoners would hear him. And people would mock him and laugh at him. And day after day, this went by, and month after month, until one day, he was called forward um, that he was going to be released. And so he walks out from, he's let out from his prison, he's let out all the way through the prison. He has to walk through all the other cells and everything to the end of the prison. He has to go by. And as he starts walking out, every single prisoner, hardened prisoners, start singing this same song, this song of praise to Jesus that this man had sung every day. And he gets to the end of the prison toward the exit doors and the officials who are taking him into custody, they, they look at him in awe and they're like, who are you? And he shouts then, he says, I am a son of God. I am a son of God. You see, he didn't let the label that the world put on him, that you're a criminal. He was falsely accused. He didn't let all the mock and the laughter and being in this prison anxiety environment shape him. But he believed this truth that he was a son of God. You see, that's our identity in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. That though we're stuck in a world of brokenness and sin and darkness, in the garden we tried to form our own identity apart from God. We tried to become gods ourselves by taking that fruit. Oh, I want to be significant. I want to be like God. Even though they already were. But our identity was destroyed. So God sent his son in the likeness of human flesh. In the cross, he was clothed in all our sin. All our sin, past, present, and future, was put on Christ so that we could be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We could go from sinners to saints. Through the resurrection, we could be new creations created in Christ for good works. So we can die every day to our sin, to our old way of living, because he has already brought us to new life. This is the gospel. Let me pray.